So anyway, um, today I'm going to be in Corinthians 15. Um, I've been trying to find a place to start. Um, because in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, it's, it's uh, uh, it says a lot of stuff. A lot of things that goes on in, in uh, chapter 15. First Corinthians 15. And uh, you know, this is when uh, he's talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, and then uh, in in the in uh, verse four he says, and he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to scripture, and that he was seen of, what is that, Cephas and the twelve. After that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain until this present time. But some has fallen asleep. And after that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also, as of one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles that am not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. But by grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach, so we believe. And this is, this is Paul speaking, the one who crucified Christians, followers. They, they, he, he went out and sought people that believed in Jesus Christ so that they can kill him. And, and he says here that I am the least of the apostles, and yet he wrote a lot of the New Testament books. You know, and what I found, I, I read a book on 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 Paul. And and what is Paul had the opportunity to to be blind. You know, when when his first encounter with God, he had the opportunity. Uh, I don't know if I should say the opportunity, but <laughs> he became blind. And, uh, you know, sometimes in, in our walk with God and, and reading his scripture, um, not that I would want to speak blindness on, on myself or anyone, but I, I would think with, with Paul that was a blessing. 
Because Paul had the opportunity to be, be ministered by Jesus without seeing what was around him. So the only thing that he could concentrate on was what God was speaking to him. He didn't have that opportunity to be distracted. And I, and I think that's one of the greatest uh, things that, that Paul had experienced was the opportunity to be taught by, by Jesus himself. And it says here in, in number 12, uh, verse 12, it, Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then is our preaching vain and our faith also vain? For we found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised Christ, whom he raised not up, it, but, I'm sorry, whom he raised uh, not up, if so be the dead rise not. If the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised? And if Christ is not raised, your faith is in vain. And you are yet in your sins. Man, reading this gets me confused. I mean, it's almost like when I was younger and I was working for this guy and he spoke in riddles. Uh, but basically it's saying is that if, if Christ had not, was not, had not rose or been raised from the dead, then all what we're doing is for nothing. And, and, and we got to understand that, that, that it is real. Christ rose. He, he was raised from the dead. And, and it's, it's a real deal. And it says here and going on that they also which are falling asleep in Christ are perished. If this life only we have hope in Christ. We are all man most miserable. Right? It, it's kind of interesting, this, this uh, verse here. Uh, I'm sorry. If, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are all man most miserable. And in 1 Corinthians 4.19 it says, for I think that God has set forth us the apostles last as it were appointed to death. For we are made a spectacle unto the world and to angels and to men. And verse, uh, that was just a side note there. But in verse 20 it says, but now is Christ risen from the dead and before and become the first fruits of them that sleep, that slept. For since by man came death, by, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For in Adam all died, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the first fruit, afterwards that or Christ that is coming. Then cometh the end 
And what, what I, why I was reading this is that the understanding of um, Christ is alive. Christ was dead, and now he's alive. And that's what Paul is talking about here. And, it, and it's important for us to believe that. And, and not only think that it's a, a spiritual thing, because he said that <coughs> it's not only, he didn't, he wasn't, when he rose from the dead, he rose in an in earthly body. It wasn't a spiritual body. And, and I'm, I'm going to move on. I just wanted to show that the word is speaking about how Christ was raised from the dead. Okay, um, and I'm going to move on down 15. Okay, um, so um, 15:38. But God giveth it a body as it has pleased Him, and to every seed His own body. Flesh is not the same flesh. But there is one kind of flesh of man, another flesh of beast, another flesh of fish, and another of bird. And then he goes on to uh, 42. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption, and it is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown as a natural body. Is it, is, it is raised as a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. For it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. And the last Adam was made a quickening spirit. How be it that was not the first which was spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterwards that which is spiritual. The first man is on earth, earthly, and the second man is the Lord from heaven. So we start off with a earthly body. We start off with a body that, that Adam had, right? That's what he's saying here. Uh, and and we end up uh, with a spiritual body. Now this I say that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither does corruption inherit incorruption. Okay, and then it goes on, and that was verse fifty. And it says, "Behold, I showed you a mystery. We shall not all sleep." But we shall all be changed. Okay, remember back in the beginning they talked about what was sleep, right? And it says here that he said, I will show you a mystery. We shall we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment and in a twinkling of an eye. At the last trump, the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall raise, incorruptible, and we shall be changed. You know, a lot of people are, are uh, uh, referring that to the uh, 
the rapture, but I, I really don't think so. Okay? And then it says here, for this corruptible, for this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. See, he's talking about us. He's talking about us. We need to realize that we were once in a corrupt body, was the body that, that was earthly, but now we are putting on an incorruptible body. Because why now? Because the Spirit of God now lives in us. So I talked about the Holy Spirit earlier. And then it says here that this mortal, because we are, we are prior to receiving Christ as our Lord and Savior, prior to accepting the Holy Spirit in us, we were mortal men. And it says here that and this mortal shall put on immortality. Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is saying that is written. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. And the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which gives us the victory to Jesus Christ. So the opportunity of putting on incorruptible, our incorruptible body or incorruptible being and, and, and our uh, becoming immort immortality, putting on immortality, is based upon Jesus Christ, not based upon us, not based upon anything that we can say or do. Um, it also says in uh, Isaiah 25, 8, he will swallow up death in victory. The Lord God will wipe away tears from off the faces and, the, and rebuke his people. And the rebuke of his people shall be taken away from all of the earth. And the Lord had spoke. And in Hebrews 2.14 it says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, and he's talking about Jesus, that through through death he might destroy him that had power over death, and that is the devil. And so we got to understand that Christ was the one that had the victory over death. Christ had the one that victory over death, and 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 it says here in uh, in. In uh, 56, 1 Corinthians 56, the sting of death is sin. And the strength of sin is the law. See, so Christ died for sin, right? So there's, there's no death. There's no death because the only reason we died is because we continually sinned. See, and as we study his word and we allow his word to uh, uh, be manifested outwardly, we realize it, this, this word is true. Uh, again, it, it doesn't change. I, he's saying that God's word is saying it, not me. He says, oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? There is no victory in death. There is no sting of death anymore in our lives. There is no victory in the grave. There is no time for that. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be you steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you have known that your labor is not in vain. 
you know, there was a labor. Somebody labored that we may have life. And his name was Jesus Christ. And, and what he said, because a lot of the apostles didn't want him to go, and, and he said, but if I don't go, I can't ascend another. See, we got to understand that that other is the Holy Spirit. And we got we to gotta understand that that is the person of God. You know, in the beginning, Jesus, uh, the God said that, let us make them in our image, our image, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We cannot deny the Holy Spirit. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit is a real part of the triangle of, of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We need to exercise that spirit like we exercise everything else in our lives and trust in the Holy Spirit. If we believe that the Spirit of the Holy Spirit is in us, we can battle sin. We can walk away from sin. Now, I'm not saying this as I am perfect, okay, because we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. But there's a time in our lives that we can understand that that Holy Spirit in us is the one that can help us control that we don't sin. But we got to exercise. We got to understand that it is a part of our bodies, part of our bodies. You know, yes, something happened to me last month, but that's just part of, uh, uh, I think, a process of, of more um, of the manifestation of, of the opportunities to share God's word, to understand that life is what he gave us. He didn't give us death. Adam gave us death. Christ came that we may have life more abundantly. No death. Death is something of the old, and the newness is life. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. See, the law was made not to trip us up. The law was made for us to draw near to God. It the law was made for us to realize the need that we have for God in our life. And it, it, was, it was such an unbelievable plan that was uh, made from the beginning of time where God knew that man would fall God knew that all of these things would happen, but he had a plan. He had a plan because his plan was to give us his spirit. His plan was to give us Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ may die and take upon everything, take upon everything that we need. Everything, peace, uh, healing, joy, uh, offenses. He took upon offenses for us, you know, so that we don't have to be offended anymore. You know, he took all of this upon him. And then he left us, but then he sent the Holy Spirit. And when he sent the Holy Spirit, it allowed us to have a greater, a greater relationship with the Father. See, that's what all of this is all about. It's about, because even at Mount Sinai, when Moses came down, God told him, 
Bring all the people to the mountain that I may talk to them. But because of sin, because of they felt unworthy, they said, no, Moses, you go. But from the start, from the start of the exodus of, of Egypt, God wanted a relationship with each individual. But man refused. Well, I shouldn't use the word refuse. What man was fearful of not being worthy, not being worthy. And we've all experienced that understanding of not being worthy. We feel we're not worthy. We feel we can't live up. We feel that we cannot measure up to whose standards? Probably our own standards. You know, the word of God says that whatsoever ye meet shall be meted back to you. Whatever you do shall be done back to you. And, and sometimes we hold ourselves more accountable. And then, and then when we make a mistake, we, we feel like we're a failure. But you see, that's not what it's all about. You see, when God called them there, they didn't want to go there because they were feeling not worthy. They felt that they were not perfect enough to go and speak to God. And that's why they said, Moses, you go. But there come a time, you see, and all this is in the plan of, of God. And then there came a time where Jesus came and, and again, he gave us the Holy Spirit. So it's not about us being worthy. It's not about us being worthy. It is about him that is worthy. It is about him that is worthy. It allows us to become worthy. It, it, it allows us to become worth something. It, we are worth something because God dwells in us. We are, we are worth to be loved because God lives in us. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit lives in us. We are worthy. We are more than worthy because we are called sons and daughters. See, we are part we are part of God's family. We are part joint heirs with Christ Jesus, as his word says. And that's why it says in, in, uh, in the book of uh, Galatians, um, it says that, you know, we, when we were young, when we were young Christians, when we were young Christians, you know, we were like um, servants. I, I just love that verse because, or that chapter because um, it talks about how we were, when we were first learning about God, we were like little babies, little children, no different than a servant. And we needed to have somebody teaching us constantly. You know, but then when, when Christ came and he was and he died and rose again and he sent the Holy Spirit, it fulfilled the prophecy of Jeremiah when he said that I will make a new covenant with my people. No longer will man teach man. See, that's what he was talking about in Jeremiah. I think it's in Jeremiah 31.
in the Word. Um, okay, in, in, uh, in Jeremiah 31, 31, it says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I had made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which by which my covenant they broke. Although I was a husband unto them, says the Lord, but this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write in their hearts and I will be their God and, and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them until the greatest of them, saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sins no more. And that's the covenant that we're running now. He had given us the Holy Spirit. He had given us the Holy Spirit to accomplish this prophecy that says that they shall teach no more every man his neighbor. And he says here, for they shall know me. Okay? For they shall know me because he's going to write all, everything we need to know in our hearts. And that is where we're at today. That's where we're at today. We're at the part fulfilling the prophecy of Jeremiah where God had given us the Holy Spirit. So understand, just meditate on the word and... and uh, you know, take what you you can. Let the Holy Spirit guide you because he is our guide uh, uh, of spirit and truth. That's why he'd given us. That's why he dwells with us. You know, Jesus, uh, the word of God says that he will never leave nor forsake us. He will never leave or forsake us. And, and, and that's the Holy Spirit, right? He's in us. Never leave nor forsake. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time that we can gather together, Father God, and honor you and understand that, that you have given us the spirit that is in us, the Holy Spirit, that will lead us into all truth of your word. It encourages us. It will keep us safe. Give us peace. Give us joy, Father God. I just thank you, Father God, that we can open up our minds and open up the eyes of our hearts that we may see we may see and, and want that intimacy with you, Father God, that intimacy of, of togetherness, Lord, a face-to-face -face relationship with you, Father God. I know you desire that, Father God. I know you desire, have, you have desired that from the beginning of time that we have an intimate and face-to-face -face relationship with you, Father God. And I thank you for that opportunity. I, I thank you that you allow us to have that intimacy with you. Father, I just thank you for each and every one here. I, I thank you that you continually bless them, Father God. Bless them. Your word says that as you seek the kingdom, your kingdom, Father God, that all things shall be added. And I thank you that all things will be added into their lives. In Jesus' name, amen.